Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 22, the season finale, titled Brave New World Part 2. Alright, so we're bringing a close to this big two-part finale arc. It continues to be insane. It continues to be just laced with complete and utter madness. (laughs) Like, it is a batshit finale, but I love it so much. It's a genuinely great end to this season, and to Classic Fringe in general. Like, Like I said yesterday... End to Classic Fringe. This format is done after this episode. Go nuts. Throw everything you got at it. Why the hell not? (laughs) I am okay with it. Uh, But before we get into the meat of this story, uh, we have to do yet another installment of Things That Are Different. Why do I do... Why do I, why do I do that? I only have to endure it for 13 more episodes after this. I only have to endure that terrible intro that I brought upon myself for 13 more episodes. So, a couple things. First off, Van Horn's alive. You know, that senator that's like really all tight with broils and they have a nice little friendship. He's alive. Uh, turns out he never got replaced by a shapeshifter and died. Uh, turns out that's not a thing that happened, uh, in this timeline. So, that's good. That's nice to see. Uh, also, you know how William Bell, uh, has been eh, doing a plan to collapse both universes into a third run by him? You know how, uh, how that's a thing? Well... Turns out that was Walter's plan originally. Turns out, um, when a man loses his son, then crosses over it into another universe to save the alternate version of his son, who then also dies, gets a bit pissed off at the world. Turns out that's a thing. (laughs) Turns out that's a thing that very much happens. And, uh, he got so pissed off at the world that, uh... He was just like, I'm going to destroy two universes and create another. Uh, that, where I am God and everything goes as I want it to. And then when he realized he could actually do it, he got really terrified (laughs) of his own ability. And that, in this timeline, is the reason for William Bell taking out the pieces of his brain. Uh, in this timeline, Walter directly asked for that because he had this idea. It wasn't just a general, I don't like the person I'm becoming, like it was in the original timeline. So there's that. Walter became a lot more bitter in this timeline, suffice it to say, and, uh, it's all his fault. It's all, it's all his fault. Everything is Walter's fault, we have learned in this episode. 
anyway, uh, that's it for this installment of Things That Are Different. I, I, I don't want to do that intro anymore. I hate it. I hate it so much, but damn it. Do I have no self-control? Damn it, do I have no self-control. Anyway, so this episode picks up right where the last one left off. Of course, uh, William Bell has captured Walter. Got him on his little boat. The most important boat. See, I told you that boat was important. That boat has William Bell on it. And that boat's gonna survive the apocalypse. I told you it's the most important boat. I told you it's the most important boat. Uh, so William Bell has Walter on the most important boat. Uh, and every single scene with Walter and William Bell in this episode is spectacular. Every single scene with them is amazing. Uh, this is the first time we've really seen William Bell play the bad guy. This is the first time we've seen Leonard Nimoy as William Bell be a bad guy this arc. Uh, so that, like, just maniacal, might as well do mustache twirling villain of William Bell, which is a very, very different character from the William Bell we knew from the first few seasons, from the original timeline. Uh, it's amazing to witness. It really, really is. Uh, and Leonard Nimoy does it beautifully, and he's amazing to witness. Of course, John Noble, as always, uh, is great. The two of them together, like, it's incredible. Like, all of it is amazing. All of it is amazing. I just wanted to get that blanket statement out there before we get into the larger narrative, because holy crap... Holy crap, it is amazing. John Noble and Leonard Nimoy on screen together is the reason to watch this episode. Uh, aside from, like, you know, the really good writing. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, as far as... Oh, by the way, and Astrid, uh, they sort of discarded her and called 911 and got her help, and she's okay. Uh, she's in the hospital, and Walter is... Missing in the eyes of Olivia, Peter, and Astrid. By the way, I love the moment where they're in the hospital and Astrid, like, turns to Peter and is like, I, I, I tried, I tried to protect him, I couldn't, I couldn't. Like, just, Astrid, I've talked a lot about how Astrid has kind of exhibited, has kind of exhibited this maternal instinct. And we kind of see that on full display here of, like, the way Astrid reacts to this, uh, the way Astrid reacts to not being able to protect Walter, like, you'd almost think, like, she lost her son, almost. It's, like, really, it's heartbreaking, honestly. Uh, and it happens for just, like, a second. It happens for just, like, a little chunk of time, but, oh boy, does it really hit hard. Uh, and it, it's amazing. It, it's a really great moment, and Jessica Nicole, of course, is incredible as Astrid. Uh, but anyway... There's that happening. Uh, Olivia gets a call from Jessica Holt saying she thinks someone's following her. While she's making that call, September shows up and is looking at her and is looking in uh, her house. And then gets, like, stuck to the ground by a stasis rune, is what it's called. And when Olivia goes over to the house... She's not there. There's a whole giant hole in the floor. They don't know it's September on that floorboard. Uh, and then they get the call about Astrid. They go over talk to her. And they try and find Walter at that import-export place they went to at the end of last episode. 
when they are when they get there, they find the piece of floor missing from Jessica's house with September on it, trapped by this stasis rune, and who holds them at gunpoint the second they come in? Freaking Jessica Holt. Yup, the entire sympathetic victim who just wanted to get back to her daughter, that was all an act. She has been working for William Bell this entire time. God. <laughs> like, there, my God, there is so much, so much going on here. So much <laughs> that needs to be said. I love this twist. I love this twist so much. Like, William Bell planned this out so meticulously. To the point where they literally... She literally... He literally put a damsel in distress for Olivia to save. Just to play off of sympathy. And, like, on this, like, ramping up activation of Cortexafan to collapse both universes together. It's... This arc's insane. This arc is insane, and I love it so much. It's so great. Uh, but we get this little standoff, and Jessica's talking about uh, how William Bell figured all this stuff out about the Observers, figured out uh, to put this, like, stasis rune to trap the Observer there, uh, talking about how, like, he know... Uh, he We know that he is really invested in the lives of Peter and Olivia, so if we put them in enough danger, September would show up. Uh, and they know a lot of the mechanics of the Observers, uh, not feeling emotions, maybe not feeling any pain, uh, the super fast motion, bullet-catching tech stuff. Like, William Bell has spent a lot of time looking into the Observers. William Bell has spent a lot of time Looking at and prepping against observers. At this point, it's worth noting, we do know he showed the hell up when the observers invaded. We do know he showed up. He was part of the resistance against the observers long enough to get ambered along with the rest of Fringe Team. So... Yeah, William Bell has... Some serious observer know-how that he picked up over the years. How did he pick up this centel? We don't know. In fact, September even acknowledges, like, how the hell did they figure out this stasis rune thing? This technology is beyond them. Like, just William Bell. William Bell outthought literally every single other person in the room. Thought out literally every single person and time-traveling superhuman in the room. It, oh, it's so good. This entire warehouse sequence is great. Eventually, Jessica pulls out this gun that shoots bullets faster than normal guns. And fires it at September. And it hits him. And it uh, gives him this wound. And it's the exact wound we saw Earlier this season. It's the exact wound we saw from him when September was giving his big 
prophecies of you have to die and uh, given that big exposition dump to Peter and all that. Like, that is the bullet wound. And Jessica is about to uh, shoot September more, and then when she does, Olivia, like, just puts her hand out, catches all these fast-moving bullets, and shoots them back at Jessica. Killing her. God, it'd be easier... It'd be easier to say what this arc doesn't do. It'd be easier to do... A recap of what this arc doesn't do. Like, literally... William Bell and David Robert Jones have pumped Olivia with so much Cortexafan that they then activated basically all at once to the point where she is now essentially Superman. And I love it. <laughs> I love that we have gotten to this point. I love that Cortexafan has gotten to this point where Olivia is just flat out Superman. Uh, it's great. It's really, really great. Uh, they then free September from the stasis rune. Uh, Olivia mentions that it's the same wound uh, she saw when he told her in all possible futures she has to die. And then September's like, I haven't told you that. Oh, wait a minute. This hasn't happened for me yet. I have to go uh, look at the future and see what I mean by this. And so this is a loop. This is another time loop. It starts with Olivia telling September that... He told her she was going to die. And then September consulting the future and then warning Olivia and then getting and then getting shot with, with, with Olivia, like telling him and then him looking at the future and then going back and all that. Like it's a time loop. It's a flat out time loop. <sighs> There's so much in this episode. There's so much in this arc. They do so much. They throw everything at it and it's great. They then, as if this arc hasn't done enough, as if this arc, as if this arc hasn't jam-packed this thing with more than enough stuff, they then decide, because they need to know where Walter is and their best lead is now dead, they decide to interrogate Jessica's dead body. Yup. We're there now. We are literally interrogating a corpse. Which, by the way, we have known has been a thing in this universe since episode freaking one. Uh, John Scott, when he got brought into Massive Dynamic, he had that great scene where Nina looks at him and is like, how long has he been dead? Question him and all that. Like, we finally get to see that technology at work. And we finally get to interrogate this corpse. It's a super creepy scene. I'm not gonna lie. It's really creepy. And I love it. And it's really, really horrifying like they zap her back to life like uh temporarily and like her eyes are moving independently of one another like and just darting across the room uh her voice has like this demonic quality to it uh she's talking like crazy talk 
talking about like how my bicycle is red and it has a little bell that goes ding, ding, ding. I left it out in the rain and it rusted. Like just going on these insane monologues. And this actress does a fantastic job, by the way. Like it is so creepy. It is so creepy. But they're interrogating her. They're able to find out that William Bell is on a boat. And they're able to find out that William Bell is doing all this for a power source. That is it. That is all the information we are able to uh, (laughs) gleam from this insanity. And eventually when Olivia touches her, there's like this giant power surge that happens. And at this point we realize, oh crap, Olivia's the energy source. All this nanite stuff, all this stuff with the sunbeam and all that, all of that was to create very meticulously crafted scenarios designed to play on Olivia's emotions. Uh, Jessica Holt playing damsel in distress uh, to sort of play on her sympathy card and Jones attacking Peter when they try to turn off the sunbeam to sort of activate Olivia's, like, to sort of play off of Olivia's love for Peter. All of this to finally activate her. Activate her to the point where she can, unbeknownst to her, start the chain reaction that collapses both universes. Like, just unwittingly. This is... William Bell's final card to play. Uh, The tech uh, amphilocyte was plan A. The cortexafan kids was plan B. Olivia was plan C. Olivia was the nuclear option that they've been planning out for this entire time. And William Bell, with those nanites, with that sunbeam, with... Jessica Holt playing on Olivia's sympathies with Jones putting Peter in danger. And all of that with September putting uh, Olivia in, uh, with Jessica putting September in danger. Like all of that was William Bell pushing the button. Was William Bell pushing the button to let the proverbial nukes fly. This is it. This is it. Like, William Bell's final card to play is Olivia. But we're able to, like, hone in on the exact energy signature that Olivia is giving off in massive waves. And use that to track where the epicenter of this is. Because the energy that Olivia is giving off will be the exact energy signature given off at the epicenter of this thing. Which, if William Bell wants to survive this, is where he's going to be. And of course he's going to survive it because he's a massive narcissist with a god complex. Yeah, with a god complex. So they track him to this epicenter. They find this place like off in the ocean. They bring like a bunch of helicopter copters there, and there's no boat. At least Olivia and Nina don't see a boat. But Peter does. Peter does see a boat. And it's at this point we realize that the lines between universes are so thin in this exact spot that the boat has completely tuned out of phase with our reality. 
and crossed over to the other side. The only reason Peter can see it is because he's from the other side, he resonates at a different frequency. So, the only way to get on this boat is for Olivia to cross over with Peter guiding her. They have to do all this while falling out of a helicopter. This episode, this arc is insane and I love it. It is so good. My God. So, they do this. Olivia jumps, Olivia and Peter jump out of a freaking helicopter over where Peter said the boat was. They cross over in midair and land on the freaking boat. This is a thing we just witnessed. (laughs) This is a thing that Fringe did. I love this arc so, it's so crazy. And I love how crazy it is. It's, it's madness. And it is exactly speaking my language. Uh, so, they're on the boat. They go in, they find William Bell. They get in this huge standoff with him. And William Bell does his evil villain monologue of... Eh, there's no stopping it now. Every breath Olivia takes brings us closer uh, to the inevitable. He's talking about how, oh, I didn't think I expected me and Walter to die off and then no more humans in this world. But uh, now you and Olivia are here. Uh, Peter and Olivia here are here. Uh, we can, like, we have a new breeding pair. Humanity has earned its place in the new world. And then... Walter, in a last-ditch effort to save both universes, shoots Olivia in the goddamn head. Walter picks up a gun and murders Olivia. Right in front of Peter and right in front of William Bell. Hey, you know that prophecy that September kept spouting that uh, in every possible future Olivia had to die? Yep, that's it. In every possible future, Olivia had to die to stop the two universes collapsing into a third. Like, that had to happen. So, they stopped the collapse, but Olivia is fully dead. William Bell rings a bell and then just magically disappears. So there's that. And then, um, we now have to race to... Save Olivia. Because, remember, Cortexafan is regenerative. And Olivia has enough in her system to, like, just stitch her brain back together so long as they get the bullet out in time. And we get this moment that genuinely, like, I've been making jokes about how insane this episode is. This moment is genuinely, like, tense. This moment genuinely has me on edge every single time. Uh, John Noble and Joshua Jackson both, like, do a great job of sort of looking stressed the hell out and just emotionally damaged. And, like, they're just desperately hoping this works. So, Walter makes an exit wound with a letter opener, and just 
pushes the bullet out of Olivia's head. Like, literally goes into her brain and pushes it out. By the way, this is the bullet that in 2036 we see Etta wearing around her neck. And they push the bullet out, they push the bullet out, and then they wait. It is an agonizing wait. It is a really, really, I'm telling you, this scene is, like, so intense. It really, really is. Uh, They go through this very agonizing wait, and then, finally, her brain heals itself. Finally, you see the wounds start to close up, and Olivia is alive! Thank God! That, she died and then came back. Uh, Cortexafan does its magic well. She is okay. By the way, worth noting, Olivia had to die because of William Bell activating her Cortexafan abilities, her super Cortexafan abilities. William Bell activated her by using the nanites that had the X mark on. There was that man in the Zeppelin uh, that had the X on his shirt, and Olivia said that she believes he's the guy who's going to kill him, or, or who's going to kill her. She had to die because of William Bell's activation. William Bell activated her partially because of the nanite thing, so indirectly, Olivia's prediction, Olivia's reading of what the hell happened in her brain was right. And... Remember, we, we've learned this season that traumatic events can echo backwards in time. And if your senses are exactly tuned enough, you can, like, hear it or see it or whatever. Uh, cortexafan is perceptive. Cortexafan is a thing that works on perception. So it heightened Olivia's ability to perceive time and all that. She saw uh her death and i think what happened was like this is a very complicated scenario it is not a usual you die by gunshot there's a lot of moving parts to why she dies and how she dies and she doesn't actually really die per se and i think i think that man with the x on his shirt i think that was like Olivia's brain taking this massively complex scenario in her future and putting it in terms she understood. The guy with the X on his shirt is going to kill her. Like, she took, her brain took, nanites activate cortex fan abilities, cortex fan abilities create this situation where she has to be killed in order to save the universes, uh, so she will die because of... Uh, cortex fan activation, which is because of the nanites thing in part. Nanites have a very recognizable X signal on them. X activates cortexafan. Cortexafan leads to death. X kills Olivia. Man with X on shirt. Like, her brain kind of took that very, very complex information and put it in terms she could understand. Weirdly. Like, it's... Oh, man. I'm... I love these complexities. I love these, this layer too. All the pieces are there. All the pieces are there. If you really look. And it's great. And I love how layered it is. So now. Everything's great. The worlds are saved. William Bell's sort of off in the ether. We don't know where he is. But. Other than that. We're all good. 
uh, Fringe Division gets a lot more funding for a new science division that uh, Nina's going to head up. Uh, Broyles is promoted to general. He was colonel up until this point. Uh, Astrid's doing okay. Walter calls her by a real name accidentally. Uh, uh, according to Walter, the Cortexafan in Olivia's system has mostly dried up because of the massive force used in collapsing two universes and, uh, making, uh, making her brain heal itself. Like, all of that combined sort of dried up the Cortexafan reservoir. It does have a biological signature, uh, to it, so she will probably have some abilities later on, but for all intents and purposes, uh, the Cortexafan powers are gone, and that's not a thing anymore. Uh, Peter finds a house for him and Olivia to live in. Olivia reveals she's pregnant! And we know... We know who that is, grown insider. Edda. This is uh, the conception of Edda Bishop. And... By the way, uh, in over the pre- pregnancy reveal, they play Edda's theme. Which, I just want to say, is the best piece of music in all of Fringe, quite frankly. Like, it's a beautiful piece. I can't sing at all. <laughs> like, that that thing, that whole theme is so beautiful and amazing, and I love it. Uh, but anyway, everything's good. Until the ending, where September shows up to Walter and says, We have to warn the others, they are coming. The Observers Invade, three years after this. And of course we know what happens after that in 2036, which is where the final season's gonna take place. Yeah. Just, uh, just, yeah. Man, this season. It's a good penultimate season. It's a really, really great penultimate season. Is it the best fringe season? No. Like, that's between three and five for me. Um, This is definitely not their best work, but also, like, that doesn't say much because Fringe is one of the greatest shows ever made. So, (laughs) season four is still fantastic, and I still love every second of it, and it's still amazing. This finale has been madness. (laughs) And I love the madness. Like, it's well-orchestrated madness. It's madness, but it's kind of the madness that, like, just works. Just operates at just the right level of madness to really captivate you. Uh, But, yeah, we only got one season left, and then we're done. And it's a short season, too. Only 13 episodes. So uh, we're going to 2036. The format changes completely. This is now an insurgent show. This is now a dystopian future wrapped up in a time war. Uh, Yeah. Get ready for that. I'm very, very excited to talk about all that. Anyway... Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archive, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. 
Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just push a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Uh, if you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly by Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow and Friday are Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, so I will not be doing episodes then. Uh, but on Monday, we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 1. Talk to you then.